morning. Just a couple of things before we read scripture. Um, according to the Christian Reformed website, I am a retired pastor, but it hasn't felt a whole lot like that lately. This is the seventh Sunday in a row that I am preaching somewhere. So um, next Sunday I have a Sunday off, and retired pastors shouldn't be saying things like that. Um, the other thing, um, Ninka, my wife and I, we have a series of DVDs at home. These are movies uh, based on the character Hercule Poirot. And these are movies based on novels by, um, by uh, Agatha Christie. So you m- might recognize names like Murder on the Orient Express or Death on the Nile. Those are Hercule Poirot murder mysteries. And he always gets his man. Now, we were watching them once, and I was kind of curious about the actor who plays that role, because he does such a lovely job of it. And his name turned out to be David Suchet. And what I couldn't help noticing as I read through this Wikipedia page is that David Suchet is a Christian. He wasn't always a Christian. He was born into a family that didn't practice any religion at all. Um, And then at around age 40, he was, he was converted. And he was converted in a hotel room when he took a Bible out of the drawer, probably a Gideon's Bible, and he started reading it. And if it was a Gideon's Bible, it probably has a page of helps at the front, you know, read this chapter, read that chapter, because you can get lost in that big book. But the chapter he read was Romans chapter 8. And while he was reading that book, You know, as the Wesleyans would say, his heart was strangely warmed. Something happened inside, and he just had to know more. And he's made quite a project of that. He's made a couple of documentaries on New Testament themes in the footsteps of St. Paul, in the footsteps of St. Peter, and they're really well done. So um, it was just kind of an interesting thing to see this actor who plays this detective so well has a whole other life, and it's a life of faith. Okay, we're going to read a piece from Romans uh, chapter 8, what that chapter that changed a life. Um, but it's going to be a very short piece. Uh, I will reference much of that, uh, the rest of the chapter during the sermon, but this is just a little piece. This is on the Holy Spirit and prayer. So Romans 8, 26 to 27. And Paul writes, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So Romans 8, 29 26 to 27, and this is the Word of God. Have you ever had a health scare? Like, say, uh, chest pain that kind of moved left, or a lump that wasn't there before, or something else? And have you ever had to wait to find out if you really should be scared? So you make an appointment, and you wait anxiously, 
And when you have your appointment, you're sent for tests, and then you have to wait for test results. And that's more anxious waiting. Meanwhile, you're hearing stories about people who uh, had to wait for test results, and by the time they came in, it was, it was too late. And in just a few months, he was, he was gone. You know, waiting like that can be really hard. You want to know what's going on inside your own body. And you want to know now. You know, for most of us, I mean, apart from the medical professionals who are maybe here, for most of us, our body's a big, unexplored territory. We, we, we don't know very much about what goes on underneath the skin. So I go into the doctor and I got a sore shoulder and, and he tells me, oh, you have, uh, you have what is um, subchromial bursitis. I had to look that up. And, and you say, well, what's that? He says, well, you have an inflamed subchromial bursa. I said, really? I have one of those? So yeah, you have two. Really, I say, awesome. But now I heard on both sides. Now, for many of us, this involves not only our bodies, but also our minds, our our psyches. We have random thoughts and moods and impulses and desires, and we don't really know how they all work. I mean, how many times have you caught yourself saying, why, what was I thinking? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why was I so afraid, so angry, so jealous? There must be something going on inside that I don't fully understand, something that's buried deep. You know, it can feel like we float on a deep pool of early memories and past traumas and past disappointments and unspoken need and unspoken fear. We can't explain it. We don't fully understand ourselves. And sometimes we don't like ourselves very much. A health scare? I mean, this can be worse. Now, if you said that sort of thing to the Apostle Paul, then he would say, oh my, I know just what you mean. I mean, Paul didn't always understand himself. And he didn't always like himself either. In Romans chapter 7, he he just tears himself apart. And and he makes this, this wrenching confession. Here's what he says. He says, I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, making me a prisoner to the law of sin. What a wretched man I am. Who can rescue me? You know, scholars have wondered about that confession. They wonder if this was Paul before he was converted or Paul after he was converted. And they tell us that that's important. Maybe so. 
but I'm not sure. I think for most of us, it really doesn't make any difference because, you know, we can recognize Paul here. It, it, it's, it's like he can't stand being himself. Ever been there? Ever done that? Ever said to yourself, what a wretched person I am. Well, our reading today was not from Romans chapter 7, but Romans chapter 8, just a chapter later, just a chapter after Paul called himself a wretched man. And the striking thing is, is the total change of tone. Romans 8 is about life in the Spirit, and it overflows with hope and trust and, and a deep-rooted assurance. We find some of Paul's best lines in this chapter. I mean, here's how it starts. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Later this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit living in you. And still later, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, by the spirit, you are brought into adoption. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's wonderful. It's like from a turn of the page, from chapter 7 to chapter 8, we come into a whole new place. Now in the back half of that chapter, we have that little piece um, that we read earlier. Paul tells about the Holy Spirit and prayer. Now, just two verses, but it's not an afterthought or a footnote. No, I kind of think of it as this is the key that explains everything else. Paul writes, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with selfless groans. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So the New International Version uses a, a kind of an old-fashioned word here, the intercedes. Other translations will say that the Spirit pleads for us. And the basic idea is that you have someone who will be with you, who will stand beside you, and will help you when you make your appeal to the, the Almighty One. Imagine that, that you have to take someone to court. You... Um, You've been cheated out of maybe a whole lot of money, maybe out of a job, or maybe, you know, your, your business. It was totally illegal, and, and you, you just can't let that go. So you Google around, and you find out that, yes, for sure, according to the Canadian Civil Code, you were defrauded under, and I'm making this up, Section 4, Subsection 5A, paragraph 2, 3, and 4. You have a good case. But 
you know, that section and subsection and those paragraphs are written in legalese, you know, that stiff, formal language of the law. And you don't understand it all. And you don't want to misread it either. I mean, what's that old joke? The person who represents himself in court has a fool for a client. So you need someone to intercede for you. You need help. It's time to call a lawyer. You know, in the healthcare, some Canadian provinces, including British Columbia, they now have some people called patient advocates. According to my information, these are people who have been in the healthcare industry for many years, and now they can help others work through the system, which can be really difficult. So if you have that health scare, you don't have to be alone. If you wish, you can come along with a, 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 a patient advocate. Now for Paul, the Holy Spirit works in that sort of way. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with words that, with groans that words cannot express. The Holy Spirit becomes our helper, our advocate, our, our lawyer. Now, of course, words like advocate and lawyer are just analogies taken from ordinary life. There's actually something much deeper here, a deeper mystery involving the inner life of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul is telling us that the Spirit knows our needs better than we know ourselves. He knows how our needs compare to the needs of others and how our needs fit into this world where there are so many others, some of them very serious. Now, all of that all of that divine knowledge and understanding and warmth and love, that is the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit intercedes for us as we pray. Now, does that make our prayers more powerful? It sure does. More effective? Yes. Actually, it makes prayer powerful and effective in ways we don't fully understand. Now, if you are like me, you um, sometimes feel guilty about your prayer habits. You know, am I praying enough? I would, for myself, I would say no. I once came across a line about Martin Luther. He once told someone that he had been so busy that day, he prayed for only three hours. That didn't make me feel any better at all. My, my prayer habits can make me feel inadequate and lazy and too stuck on the internet and sports. For some of us, prayer is kind of socially awkward. You know, in, in a group, I can feel kind of self-conscious. What will they think of my prayer? Will I sound spiritual enough? And if I get past that and actually pray with the group, I might feel like I'm just trying to impress people. Or I'm trying to change their mind, trying to convert them from their version of Christianity to mine. Instead, instead of actually communicating to the one who listens. Are my prayers too selfish? Are they too focused on what I want and my family needs? Do, do 
why ignore the problems of the world? I mean, the war in Ukraine, the, the climate change, our difficult ta past with indigenous peoples, refugees lining up at the food bank, you know, victims of abuse. And if I do pray for those causes, those, those needs, how do I say that right? I mean, if I use the wrong words, if I use insensitive words, that's not a good thing. I want to do this right, but I don't always know how. And those are fair comments. But let's remember one thing. Prayer doesn't depend on us doing it perfectly. Prayer depends on the one who listens. And we are praying to the one who helps in, in our weakness, whose spirit intercedes for us. We're praying into the very mystery of God. And yes, your prayer may come out slow, and they may be scrambled, and they might be too late. But then at least remember, the Spirit is your friend, your voice, your advocate who intercedes for you. That makes a world of difference. You know, the last part of Romans 8 is, um, is, is a tremendous hymn of faith and, and hope. And you'll often hear these words at funerals, and it's easy to see why. Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sorrow? No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now how did this come to be? How did the wretched man of chapter 7 become so convinced in chapter 8 that God would keep him and love him through all these terrible things? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, angels, demons. I mean, where are they? The present, the future. I mean, this is no wretched man. How did Paul grow so much confidence? Well, I can tell you one thing for sure. If you ask him, he sure wouldn't take the credit himself. He wouldn't tell you, well, I am just the best of the best. I am the strongest of the strong. No, he wouldn't do that. You know, late in his life, he wrote a, a, a letter, a kind of um, mentor's letter to a, a young pastor named Timothy. And that letter is also in the Bible. And, and, and he kind of was hard on himself again in that letter. He told Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ could display his infinite patience. So, no, if Paul is brimming with confidence... It's not because he's figured everything out. No, his confidence is a deep-rooted trust that comes from the God he worshipped and the God whose spirit is interceding for him. You know, there's a news story um, earlier this year 
It came out of a city called Ajax, Ontario. It's uh, a bit east of Toronto, and it has a municipal, uh, regional municipal government. That municipal region is called Durham. Well, it seems that in, in, in this uh, Ajax, um, a woman uh, found herself in the middle of a nightmare. I mean, she lived alone, and here was the nightmare that so many people dread. There was an intruder in the house. And so she grabbed her phone, and she, you know, tapped in, you know, Durham Police. And a, a website popped up, and it had something called a live chat facility. It's kind of like calling 911 via text message instead of phone call. Anyway, she, she texted the thing, I need help. He's going to come. And then still later, another text, he's in the house. And then the text messages stopped. Then it gets worse. I mean, in her panic, this caller had texted the Durham police. She'd made a mistake and texted the Durham police in Durham, England, rather than Durham, Ontario. The city in England and the regional municipality in Ontario have the same name. And she texted the police force on the wrong side of the ocean. So now things could get really bad. She might be waiting for help that is just never going to come. But then the story gets bright. The dispatcher in Durham, England, realized the mistake. And she immediately contacted the police in Durham, Ontario. The dispatcher was even able to give the correct street address of the house. And so Ontario police arrived there as soon as possible. And when they did, the intruder escaped and ran away. They caught him in a yard. They, um, you know, ordered him to surrender. He resisted arrest. And then they tasered him and um, arrested him and took him away. He has been, he was later charged with breaking and entering, assault, forcible confinement, and still more. Sounds like this was a a very angry ex-partner. And yes, we know those charges will have to be tested in court and that will take time. The justice system has its own pace, which is slow because they do have to be very, very careful. But let's take a moment to salute the police because from the beginning to the end of that story, from the panic call to Durham, England, to the arrest in Durham, Ontario, it took about a half an hour. So here we have someone who called for help in the wrong way, to the wrong place. You know, her, her, her mistake could have caused her a severe beating, or even worse. And that dispatcher in England, she could have said, Ontario, wrong address, stupid fool, and cut off the conversation. But she didn't. She saw the mistake. She showed some heart and, and she called the right people in the right place so that help could come. For me, this is a, a kind of secular, a secular echo of what Paul promises in his letter to the Romans. You can pray and get it all wrong. But the Spirit knows your heart, and He knows your needs, and He knows the needs of the world. He will intercede for you and for this, this broken world.
So pray. Pray in the middle of your health scare. Pray in in the middle of a world full of unfairness and pain. Pray long and pray well. And if you can't pray well, then pray badly. Just do it and trust that the Spirit of God will be there with you and intercede for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do not always know how to pray. We do not always pray enough. Pardon us. And we ask that you will Help us to understand fully and deeply that we do not pray alone and we do not pray unassisted, but that we are in the presence of the Spirit who is there for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.